0: Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Ned Baker, and it is my sad duty to inform you that Ava Peron, the spiritual leader of the nation, entered immortality at 8.25 this evening.
1: And I am... Don't cry for me, Caroline Sita.
0: (laughs) The way this podcast works is that Caroline and I take turns curating a five film miniseries starring an actor we love. We talk about their movies. We talk about their career. Sometimes we work in... Cute
1: YouTube uh, videos that they've been in.
0: YouTube videos. Uh, We try to steer the conversations towards musicals whenever we can. (laughs) Um, We're going to do all of those things today as we continue our Antonio Banderas series. With our fourth Antonio Banderas episode today, covering Andrew Lloyd Webber's *Evita*. I don't know if that would be the appropriate way to refer to it. I mean, usually you say the director, but to me, it feels like that is the significant signature on this film. Like, I just think when Andrew Lloyd Webber is involved, he is—he's—he's he's definitional in a way that other people struggle to compete with.
1: Well, it's either that or maybe it's just Madonna's *Evita*.
0: Yeah, yeah, Madonna's *Evita*.
1: I feel like there's an there's an argument to be made for hers like maybe a low key tour of the I would say kind of low key forgotten avita film adaptation from 1996.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, not a film that I had seen prior to this, not one that I that is I've ever like spotted on TV, not one that seems to have a you know real uh, significant place in the like cultural canon of movie musicals. Although it certainly was a major effort at the time.
1: Are you an Andrew Lloyd Webber fan in general? Are you a Webber head?
0: Absolutely not. No. No. <laughs> no, and my criticism of this film today is going to have to struggle to edge its way around. As I try to process the experience of watching this film, my criticism is going to have to edge away its way around my significant and longstanding antipathy towards Andrew Lloyd Webber.
1: He is quite the man if people are not well, I think everyone is familiar with his music. But if the name doesn't immediately conjure up things, in addition to Avida, he's done stuff like Jesus Christ Superstar, mm-hmm. uh, Cats, very famously.
0: Yeah, he's the Phantom man of the that Opera. Cats.
1: Phantom of the Opera, the Phantom of the Opera sequel, Love Never Dies. Of course, he's had a recent Starlight sort Express. Of, oh, the Starlight Express. You a nailed musical it.
0: about trains in a train competition. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I
1: think that is correct.
0: But I've never seen or listened to that. But
1: He did a Sunset Boulevard adaptation that I think maybe people like. Oh. I've never seen it. Recently, he just had this um, sort of new take on Cinderella on the West End that got him into some hot water because it had to close early and then... It had to close early, but they didn't tell the cast in advance, other than them finding out on social media that the show was closing.
0: Uh-oh. So
1: everyone in the production seemed to hate him, so he didn't come to closing night, but he had them read out a letter in which he referred to the musical, a letter being read out on stage in front of the cast and audience, in which he referred to the musical as a costly mistake. What? Oh my <laughs> and God. then the entire audience booed. <laughs> <laughs> so if you oh want to find your like, their, like... Hot goss right off the moment. Uh, that's that's his latest.
0: That is huge. <laughs> wow what's what's your relation to Android? I feel like you you didn't actually give me a uh, a taste of your own opinion in there. I think you did I a really good job summing up.
1: Well, I don't
0: know that you dodged it, but you did a good job neutrally summing up sort of the role he occupies. But what's what are your feelings? My
1: opinions? Let's Go see. fully subjective. I don't subjective. think I like Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I also cannot deny that the man can write a freaking catchy hook. Mm. One of the other shows we didn't mention is Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which when right. I was an usher at the Muni Theater in St. Louis, the largest outdoor theater in the country.
0: A really I... influential Caroline experience. <laughs>
1: I worked six days a week, which meant I saw every show six times, because the shows each run for a week. So seeing Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat six, six times in a row, you you, those songs do not leave your head. And I would say that's true of many of his, his songs, including like, you know, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, I would say being one of the most famous examples
0: totally and as I was introduced to a lot of songs in this one I felt like oh I can start to see how that could get stuck in my head although they they some of them could be hard to wrap your mouth around or to mm-hmm. like chew and swallow and you know it's for all you know Phantom of the Opera is probably of these or maybe Jesus Christ Superstar the one that I'm the most familiar with and I feel like for every, for every song that has this like amazingly catchy digestible refrain, you also have a more like recitative song that's like, no, don't you go out there. <laughs> if you do, I will make you suffer for the way you have Because a lot of them are fully me.
1: sung through or close totally. to it, especially Which is Avita. bold,
0: and I respect.
1: And I think he kind of helped pioneer that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I believe it.
1: That sung through. I should admit I did go through a really big f- obsession with the Phantom of the Opera movie. Mm, gerard the, Ger- the gerard butler. butler
0: pat wilson of course uh,
1: that oh that's yeah exactly that's where my patrick wilson love started yeah and you awesome now i can the say that that movie was not good but in like middle school or high school i do believe i went to see it like seven times in the movie theater
0: <laughs> i went to that one with crazy high expectations based on how thrilling the trailer was a trailer that is my favorite genre trailer which is just vibes um and i was a little let down by it
1: it's not a good movie i don't think it's good
0: my friend Zoe, I think, sort of champions that movie as, like, it's just, like, it's campy, campy, camp, like, full on display. It's mm-hmm. from Joel Schumacher, the guy who also directed Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. And um, But, yeah, I'm not overly fond of it. I've had to, like, grudgingly admit in recent years that what works about shows like Phantom and Jesus Christ Superstar, like, really does work. Because mm-hmm. for a while, I sort of obstinately was like, this is tacky horrible composer is like a blight on the musical theater (laughs) canon and and i think it's just like i i i I had to eventually like abandon my position that there wasn't something compelling about some of these themes just like blasting out you know there are you
1: heard skimble shanks the railroad cat and you were like i can't deny the absolute bop (laughs)
0: Do you know that that is my favorite song from Cats? It's
1: everyone's favorite song. It's the best song in Cats.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I also found Skimbleshanks in the Cats movie kind of like weirdly attractive. It is like Yeah, there was overalls. a
1: definite Fox Robin Hood sort of a situation happening.
0: Ooh, hadn't made that comparison, but I think you are uh you've got a leg to stand on there. <laughs> I think that's a strong position. So, yeah, I I'm not the biggest guy the guy's biggest <laughs> fan. I guess I'm no longer the like uh, militant anti-ALW, uh, firebrand that I was in high school when it, you know, when you sort of like defined your own taste by like sure. picking something to just like hate with your full body. But I came in, um, with, I'd say a, a skeptical attitude towards the quality of his work to this movie watching experience, which was my first time with Evita.
1: Did you know anything kind of about Avita in general? As I a show, as a person,
0: I knew a bit about the Perones from like history class in school. Mm-hmm. I had the the faintest idea of their sort of like rise and fall and their like place in Argentinian politics. Although it is, it is hard sometimes. I think as a young person, at the age at which I learned it, to like grasp exactly South American politics are complicated, and it's it is sometimes really difficult. If you, if, you're, if your best tactic is to try to, like, map them onto familiar American mm-hmm. figures, like, it does not quite work. Okay. Like, American figures or American political movements. So I wouldn't right now feel qualified to actually, like, discourse seriously on the politics of the Perons. But I guess I had an idea of what their sort of, like, pop culture, like, mm-hmm. cultural role was. How about you?
1: I had seen Vita I kind of, I don't know why I so distinctly remember this, but sitting down to watch it with my mom and my sister, and being pretty mixed on it, although then I think I had the movie, you know, soundtrack, and there definitely are a couple songs that made it into regular rotation on my musical theater playlist. Mm-hmm. More so than others. So some I was really familiar with. Uh, What's new? Buenos Aires. Yes. Love that one. I think it's a great, a particularly great Madonna interpretation of that song. Mm. I was watching the Patti LuPone version because she originated um, Ava on Broadway. Certainly. Her version was wild and I do not think in a good way.
0: Patty LuPone, that's another complicated figure, you know? Yeah. I can't really, like, grapple with, with, like, whether I – Like, the things she does that I think are just legitimately good and the things she does that I think are legitimately bad. This
1: is why uh, we have to limit how many musicals we cover on any (laughs) given series because it just inspires so many tangents.
0: Yeah, truly. So so she does a wild take. Yeah, Madonna does a great job with that number, for sure. And Um, the
1: Oh, What a Circus, the song that starts – the Mm -hmm. movie that has a little bit of the theme of don't cry for me argentina but is antonio banderas sort of opening opening like pissed off narration which i really love as a choice for how to open a show like there's gonna be a narrator who low-key kind of hates the protagonist and that's how we're (laughs) gonna start
0: yeah 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 he comes in strong with his sort of like contempt for all like mediocrity and decadence Mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of like carries with that that's kind of his main tone i I guess you could say there is a little bit of an arc with that through the movie Mm -hmm. but you have to pick it up kind of subtextually as you do with everything that i would call the story of this film
1: yeah it is a fascinating i'm actually i don't i i don't think right now i could just easily sum up Here's my take on Evita, like how much Mm -hmm. I like it or don't like it. But I am so excited to talk about it. I feel like there's so much to talk about. And in in that sense, it is so successful, I think, in, in presenting history and interrogating this figure and in the ways it is flawed and in the way it has strength. I just find all of that so like I'm so excited to talk about this one with you.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I go on a very quick tangent to talk about Across the Universe the musical?
1: <gasps> yeah, anytime, Jim Sturgis. Yeah, Jim That's Sturgis. That's another one I saw quite a few times in high school.
0: So, uh my take on Across the Universe is that um the as a series of like music videos, uh I find them like I find it incredibly. It's got some like extremely successful sequences mm-hmm. and like really cool images and like brilliant like creative interpretations of things. And I find the dialogue that links those scenes in terms of how it's written and in terms of performance by actors that – even actors that I like in other things. You know, probably most notably for me, Evan Rachel Wood, who we know I'm a fan of from our Westworld episode. But yeah, those are capable actors in that movie. And I just find all those dialogue scenes to be like – cringe inducingly bad and my sort of take on across the universe was they should have just cut all those and given us like just the music and you have to kind of find the story in between so i, I i've i've made that complaint sometimes about musicals with bad cheesy dialogue and if with evita i think i found a movie that has swung a little too far to the opposite <laughs> where there is how much dialogue like none
1: None. It's basically all
0: sung through. Yeah, with the occasional like a comment here or there. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's basically all sung through. And interestingly, in terms of how these scenes are shot, like I cannot think of a movie that spends more time in montage mode. Yes. This movie is like seventy percent montages, and um, with those things in combination. There are these, like, very striking sequences and very striking images, but I do find the story, in terms of, like, what I'm actually supposed to attach to with regards to the characters and what's going on and just what what the story of it is, mm-hmm. I find that kind of hard to, grab, to like, grab onto. I don't know if you had that experience at all, but – there was a lot of times I was like, I just actually don't know what I, what's going on or what I'm supposed to think about it.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I agree that that's there. I think I kind of actually latched on to that as something I enjoyed mm-hmm. because I think it is a very episodic and weirdly multifaceted presentation of history that mm-hmm. I actually find that to be a more accurate way to approach history than writing something with like a strong thesis like yeah. a lot of Vita is like, were these people good? Were they bad? Uh, I
0: think you'll find Their life doesn't quite fit into a
1: neat narrative. Yeah. And all of that is like, yeah, that is kind of how I think of history.
0: The complexity of history, which really we are always trying to fit into sort mm-hmm. of like a beginning, middle, end moral story, but which actually really doesn't tend to play out that way.
1: Exactly. That's
0: not, a, that's not a genuine way of representing it.
1: I've also discovered, I was trying to do some research into just like, how is this movie, how do people think of this movie today? What are like the retrospectives of it? Mm-hmm. I think people just don't think of this movie today. Yeah. It is a little bit forgotten, but I did find an interesting sort of discussion on my beloved Broadway.com message boards, which mm. I never had AIM or anything, but that was like where I spent my time as a-
0: You had Broadway.com message boards?
1: Yeah. The Broadway the Broadway world- They had an interesting discussion of the fact that the musical is so episodic, it's just looking at sort of vignettes or incidents from the lives of these mid mid 20th century political figures in Argentina, there was an interesting argument as to whether that episodic nature worked better on stage or better on film because mm-hmm. some people were sort of saying they liked they liked it more on stage because you could sort of theatrically flow to one thing or the other and other people were arguing they liked it more on film because you could use the sort of montage or the imagery to connect to connect things to each other just visually mm-hmm. and i don't really have a definitive answer there but i thought it was an interesting discussion
0: i think that as we go through and talk about this maybe again you know being being defeated at an attempt to create one single narrative even for like is this a good or bad film we're gonna have instances in which that that technique was serving the film and an instance at, at which it really was not like i'd say a moment a pair of sequences where i was really vibing with a film where i felt like the general story of what's supposed to be told here is sort of clear to me was this kind of one-two punch of the Successive boyfriends song Mm -hmm. followed by the successive like military leaders of (laughs) Argentina song. Um, the titles of them are escaping me because they're hard. It's like, okay, the boyfriend song is, I think, called Thank You and Good Night. Yes, and then do you know what the next one where it's all the generals
1: musical chairs? I,
0: I think, I think for the soundtrack. I'm looking at a, a track listing right now, and I think it's called "The Ladies Got Potential," which is baffling to me because it really, <laughs> what the story they tell about that is about like this guy. There's a military coup, and then this guy ascended to the presidency, and then he was replaced by this guy. Um, and I didn't get the uh, I specific love musical details theater so much. <laughs> yeah. So, that, but that, like, the those things, the thematic connection of those two songs, like, they worked for me individually, where I thought the storytelling was really clear. Like, the montaging of um, Thank You and Good Night is really funny. It's got literal imagery, but it also has very non-literal imagery of these, like, successive suitors, like, coming up the steps to Evita's apartment, and she's... You know she's there with her like next her newer like more high ranking boyfriend, and Antonio Banderas is there and kind of like shoes them away and tells them to like fuck off. um and you have you have at the end like a chorus of her like sad former lovers mm-hmm. sort of standing there um and then the game of the next one is like you get this you get these images of uh, of like military convoys like rolling across the country guards like storming into the presidential palace the casa rosada escorting out one group of leaders replacing them with another that group of leaders eventually being escorted out and replaced with another um so both of those sequences worked individually and the way they commented on the way they sort of like dance with each other in terms of like it's all just the same shit it's just one guy after another um i found that was that was a moment where i didn't I wasn't unmoored personally, nor was I confused about the actual like political history. There were just other chapters where I was like, uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this would be going too out of order, but "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina" is a song that I know that I've known the tune of for years. I've known many of the lyrics too, but I've always been a little confused about like what is the actual context of it, like mm-hmm. what does it mean? I've known the lyrics, but I haven't known that. And I watched the movie. And I came out at the end of that scene and I was like, I actually still don't know what that meant. What is it? Which what, it what does it mean, don't cry for me, Argentina? Why, why does she sing it then and why does it get the reaction that it does? Well, and I also think it's hard to tell if the
1: musical is – if the musical sort of wrote a song that is nonsensical accidentally uh-huh. or if the musical is sort of aping the nonsensical platitudes that a politician can use to sort uh-huh. of – get people on their side because I do think there's an element of you're emphasizing Ava Peron's ability to just connect to a crowd even if all she's saying is like oh I'm so I'm so beautiful and I worked so hard and like oh please like don't worry about little old me like there is an element and what's interesting too is watching different people interpret that song I was sort mm-hmm. of going through and watching I think Madonna does a very sort of earnest portrayal yeah but then I was watching this really great Leah Salonga version where it Ooh. feels much more like an actual political speech and it's this real strength to it
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: the clips of Patti LuPone's interpretation felt like the most sort of like Lady Macbeth manipulative hmm. so maybe the what the song is doing is also sort of dependent on what the actress playing ava is using it for
0: yeah there's a moment in the film that if it is satire i guess is working great and if it's not i'm just find really baffling where like she hits i mean maybe i should pull up the lyrics she hits she hits a line towards the end people are sort of staring up at her sadly and somberly and she hits the line like if you all you have to do is look at me and know that every mm-hmm. word is true and this suddenly triggers like uproarious applause from the audience and i was just like what what's the <laughs> but what were the words that were what even was true what is it what does any of this mean and if it's yeah i don't know if it's if it's intended to be sort of i like the interpretation of it being like you know politicians just say things like you know me you can trust me
1: I was reading it a little bit like the Mark Antony, I come to, not to bury Caesar, but to praise him sort of a moment, where you're sort of rallying people to your cause through vague rhetoric. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want a little bit of history as to the life of Evita the musical?
0: I think that would be excellent to have. Because
1: I think that that also colors the... The curious way in which this musical is presenting Ava Perone as a figure, I think, is actually mm-hmm. something that has been discussed and adjusted over the years, like pretty yeah. much since this was started. So so we're, we're right on the back of uh, not just Andrew Lloyd Webber, but also his regular lyricist, Tim Rice. They are just coming off the success of Jesus Christ Superstar and sort of looking for their next project. And it's actually Tim Rice who sort of hears this radio broadcast about Ava Perón and gets super into that story and flies to Buenos Aires to learn all about her. And he bases a lot of this originally on, I think it was like a 1950s biography that had been written from a very anti-peronist perspective. Yeah. Which is why when he goes to write the show, which is on the one hand sort of just a story of Eva Perone, but then they create this narrator character who Antonio Banderas eventually plays in the film, whose name is Che, and he is kind of representing an everyday Argentinian who has somewhat negative feeling towards Eva Perone. although cynical. Al- more just like yeah. yeah, cynical sort of outsider status. Um, mm-hmm. Because so much of the show is about people just fawning over her. So they, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice first released the show as a cast album. That was kind of their trend. They did this with Jesus Christ Superstar yeah. and Joseph actually. It was like, we're just going to put out an album, get people invested in this music. It goes, it opens on the West End in, I think, 1978, maybe. And then it, there's the right. Broadway production the next year with Patti LuPone, who played Che on Broadway.
0: Was it Mandy Patinkin?
1: It was your boy Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, I
0: do love Mandy. And
1: in that production, so I think they had just originally written the character Che as just an Argentinian Argentinian everyman, but then the director of the West End and Broadway productions, Hal Prince, really wanted him to be Che Guevara. That's kind of how he styled in the original productions, somewhat just arbitrarily, I think.
0: I didn't know that he wasn't Che Guevara. I thought that was the whole, but but that itself is an idea that I was like having trouble grappling into. I'm like, was Che Guevara, Did he stick around? Did he live through these events? Like, I'm not. I don't think he did. he did.
1: I think historically he was slightly later. Like his, I guess you yeah. could argue like this was what was fueling his his young life. Mm-hmm. I know but you I think that traveled around, you know. But yeah, I think that's mostly just like a stylistic choice from how Prince. Oh, how bizarre. Who, who wants them to be connected? I mean, it kind of – yeah, it kind of makes sense, I guess, but – Sure. Um, I mean,
0: he has this, like, eyes wide open populist, like, skepticism about the political institution. Like, it's not it's not crazy to align him with this. It's just – And the name. And the name. It's just kind of a – kind of a, like, a bizarre, like, take on the, the actual figure of Che Guevara mm-hmm. who had – just so much story to his life, none of which is really in play here.
1: Mm-hmm, right. So I think in this movie, I think that they actually really strip away any like like on stage. Mandy Potankin is just styled as Che Guevara, like with the hat yeah, and the beard the and everything.
0: Yeah. In the
1: movie, I don't think you would really get that from Antonio Banderas. There's no, they don't really lean into that angle. And I think more recent stage productions have also not leaned into that angle. Huh.
0: They just make him a little more of, I mean, he is really like, a, uh, yeah, just kind of like a sort of a, a magical, magical realist working yeah. class, like every man. And it's like, what are some, what are some, what are some, I feel like this is, this has become a sort of a common, all I, can, all I can see in my head right now is Reefer Madness*, the movie musical, but it's like mm. your narrator keeps like showing up in different situations in different costumes. I feel like I this is I don't know a what device, it is, but,
1: but I love – this was my favorite thing about the movie, and I was uh-huh. actually going to ask you this question, if you could list other things. The, the thing – the pull I was doing was the part of the opening of the animated Aladdin, where Robin Williams right. is sort of like low-key playing another – I'm so sorry, I've said the word low-key like three times already in the first (laughs) half hour of this podcast.
0: That's our vibe anyway, a low-key podcast.
1: uh, genie is sort of kind of playing the salesman that opens it as a narrator, but it's never quite acknowledged.
0: Yes. I'm sure this is a device elsewhere, but uh, yeah. It's a
1: very satisfying device to me. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, the waiter turns around and it's him. Yeah. Now he's now he's a, now he's a journalist, and now he's. I like
1: it. Anyway, super a super successful West End and Broadway runs, win a lot of Tonys, and then this movie basically as soon as the the sort of stage show had been successful, mm-hmm. from then from from the late 1970s to when this movie gets made in the mid 1990s, people at various times have been trying to adapt it or do different versions. Oliver Stone was attached for a long time. Yeah, still has a screenwriting credit on this, although I don't. Think think his version is actually really used in it
0: it sounded to me like he like that was there was like a a a writer's guild lawsuit where he was like oh you took all these ideas and uh alan parker the director. this was like no i didn't but like the settlement involved him getting a a screenwriting credit where you know it's it's really impossible for me to know i mean like shady shit does happen but yeah it seems like some official outlets are saying like actually there are no thumbprints of his on this besides the name
1: And then I think, so as you mentioned, Alan Parker is the writer and director, Mm. and I think he makes some changes to the source material. Again, it was hard to just find super detailed research on any of this, but he ends up directing it. I think that Antonio was brought on board. Maybe even he was kind of solidified before Madonna, although I think Madonna had long been campaigning for this role, and this was kind of a real passion project of hers Mm -hmm. to play this
0: yeah, it sounded similar for me. I'm I'm more I'm familiar with the sort of like journey of share in Moonstruck to be like I'm not just everyone is like vapid pop princess mm-hmm. worms her way to film and she's like no I'm this is a a huge thing for me. I just I just felt echoes of that in Madonna seeming to like she got super into this project. She said this is the part I was born to play, and she mm-hmm. I think was sort of hoping this would be like a big. Like crossover moment for her.
1: Yeah, she wins the Golden Globe for it. I think it was sort of considered a snub that she didn't get an Oscar nomination, or at least clearly she had been hoping to get. Yeah, an Oscar nomination. Something that sort of this was back to a point we made a while ago, but sure. So the the original musical is written from the source material they were pulling from was a sort of anti Perone memoir. And then it starts this weird trajectory of some people arguing that this musical is too critical of the Perones because they were the source material was this more negative biopic, but then or uh, biography. But then I think equally there are some people who feel like this musical sort of glamorizes and humanizes people that were of a fascist leaning and should not be glamorized in that way. And I think sort of each subsequent production in this movie, it's always kind of grappling with how much do you want to present them as sympathetic figures? How much do you want to criticize them? I think, so anyway, I think that part of the reason that we feel like a little bit nebulous as to where it lands on the Perrons is Mm -hmm. because a lot of times the people working on these things are not quite sure where to, where to land that line.
0: Yeah. I mean, it definitely like, I would say Madonna's performance does not i i can't think of almost any moments where she like seems to be leaning into what you would call like a like a manipulative or deceitful no. or power hungry person and yet you kind of have antonio banderas repeatedly like and he's our direct address sort of saying that she is those things and that is that is an interesting tension in it that she has these like you know her sort of like tragic death scene is shot in this very like soft light sympathetic Mm -hmm. Like, this is a tragedy way.
1: I think there is a little bit of manipulation. Is manipulation the right word? I think she is a person – I think Madonna's take on Ava Perone is a person who's very good at using her own image for things Mm -hmm. and knowing I should sell myself this way for this moment. I should dress in Dior for this moment. I should do this. And I think even in the speeches and the way she can – rally people to causes that it's unclear if she really believes in them Mm -hmm. it's unclear if she's like i am rallying you masses that need help because i genuinely want to help you or because i know if i get you on my side you will elect my husband and i into seats of power and then i will have a glamorous life
0: yeah yeah what happens right before the the money kept rolling in song there's something that's like
1: she has her whole rainbow tour
0: Yeah, maybe, and maybe it's like right if that someone is, you know, maybe it's Che being like you are a failure. Just look how bad that went. She's like, no, I'm not. My fund is gonna like fix everything. Uh huh. So that you know, there can be that sort of there is like some story there of her sort of like just reputation gilding the whole time she's like through her whole journey. Mm
1: Hmm. I actually think the rainbow tour song is a great example of what I like so much about this show. It's this number where at least in the movie, they're sort of watching this footage of this big international European tour that Ava Peron had gone on just to sort of like, you know, a goodwill tour. Mm -hmm. And the all these men back home are watching it and saying like, okay, how did she do? How did she do? And so her first stop is Spain, and she's like beautifully received there. And it's like, wow, crown of Argentina, she's doing amazing. And then she goes to Italy, and she's called a whore, and everyone hates her there. And she's really poorly received. And then she goes to the Vatican, and the Pope sees her, but he's not seeing her in the way that would really be the prestigious way to see her. And at the end, they're kind of like, how did the tour go? And everyone's like, Hard to say. Yes. No. And I feel like that's yes. kind of the energy yeah. the musical takes with the Perones. It's like, did they do good? Did they do bad? Hard to say.
0: A qualified yes. Yeah.
1: A qualified yes. I just really like that as a, as a... I don't know. I get how it could be unsatisfying or it could feel like the movie's not taking strong enough of a stance, but I like it as a, a choice.
0: Personally, I like that aspect of it too. I think that I... You know, And as we talk about it, I'm like, oh, I like this and I like that. I do still feel like I have – I came away from the movie in a lot of ways unsatisfied. And I think that had to do with my feelings of, like, alienation from the main character where, like, I don't know. Like, we just sort of talked about how that was interesting. But I also feel the experiencing of watching it, there were just too many long stretches where I was like, I don't know what's going on or why I should care. Mm -hmm. And then it would kind of pick up and hook me back in. But there were times when I was like, I just don't really know. And I don't know, like despite talking about some of those things, some of that ambiguity as a positive now, I can't deny that my experiencing of watching it, there were times where like I just felt more checked out from it.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't disagree. Like I think there is something about this movie that fundamentally doesn't work. Yeah. But it is hard for me to put my finger on what. Yeah. And it was interesting to read reviews of it at the time. I think this movie does pretty well, I think really well, actually, commercially. And it was not, like, negatively received. It was, like, mixed to positive, maybe more on the mixed side. Uh But just reading through all the mixed reviews, pretty much everybody agreed it didn't fully work, but everyone identified a different thing that didn't work. So some people were like, what doesn't work here is the direction. What does work is Madonna's performance. Uh And then other people would say, the direction is so interesting and compelling. What doesn't work is Madonna is miscast. Like, any... It was like it's like no one can quite figure out what is what is the forty percent off of this movie,
0: and that includes me. I can't quite, I, I can't quite, yeah, yeah. I cannot quite figure it out, but I did have that impression of being like, okay, that wasn't stellar to me.
1: But also, some of it is really compelling. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah. I mentioned some of the songs. Yeah. What are What are some other uh, What are some favorites? What are some highlights of the film? What are moments? Because this is a little clearer. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some moments where you're like, I am tapped in on this thing versus uh, maybe not so much?
1: I think that for me, the biggest question mark I have is actually the Madonna performance of it all. Uh huh. I think if I had to pinpoint the thing that doesn't fully work for me, it's her. But again, it's like a qualified complaint because I don't yeah. think she's completely wrong uh-huh. for the part. I think there is a certain quality she has that does sort of match Like she is a very famous person playing a very famous person. And I think that's a very fun meta connection. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think she sounds great for these songs, but I don't think she sounds so bad that that is fully throwing it off.
0: Yeah, gosh, that's tough for me because I don't know the songs as well in other contexts. But I thought she sounded good when I was watching it, but I don't know.
1: I think her voice, they definitely, she worked really hard to get her singing to a higher standard that it had been. I think a lot of the keys of the songs are lowered. And I think other people will perform them more forcefully, but it also feels like her lack of forcefulness sometimes is a choice. Mm-hmm. I think what it comes down to for me is I think she's lacking a little bit of the ability to fully emote, maybe hmm. when she's singing. I was like, do you know who I think would be so good in this role? Who's that? is Lady
0: Gaga. Ooh, yeah.
1: That's someone where I'm like, the, she's got the same star quality, but I think is probably a stronger actor and a stronger singer and could really lean into the melodrama.
0: Yeah, gosh, I don't know. I, was, I just had the thought that I was like, oh, I'd love to see Lady Gaga in this. And then I'm like, would I, or would I like to see Lady Gaga in a, a role kind of like this, but the musical mm-hmm. actually giving her more to... This is a tricky role. You get so little...
1: Interiority.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you really get kind of a, she's public facing for a lot of it. You don't have those like, you know, on my own, just like, uh, here's what I'm feeling Mm -hmm. moments. Unless you did and I forgot them.
1: I think you have a few of them. You have the scene where she's sort of uh, first meeting her husband, her future husband, and there's that whole I'd be surprisingly good for you mm-hmm. song. Although even that is really more of a negotiation. Yeah. I think it's because so much of it is told through a narrator. Mm-hmm. So you are keeping her more on the outside than you would a conventional musical theater. Yeah. Prot- it's like she is the protagonist, but she's also not. <laughs> but yeah. I wouldn't say Che is the protagonist either.
0: No, he's because not a character. You don't know anything about the details of his life at all. You just know what he thinks about her life.
1: Right, and he maybe isn't even supposed to be a conventional character. Like he really is just a pure narrator. He's a
0: theatrical function. Yeah, yeah, he like links us. Like he's like a he's like a Greek chorus. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's also tricky. I'm trying to like like take myself back to the experience of watching it, and I'm looking at the uh, looking at the track list and finding it really hard because a lot of the <laughs> yeah. titles are like, uh, what's what's that about? I, mm-hmm. I don't know what that. Yeah, Perone's latest flame. Oh that was good.
1: And some of the songs are like that too. With the with the sung through show it can be everything can kind of meld together a little bit, I think. Totally.
0: Totally. I'm like there's some of them are coming back. I'm like a oh, Perone's latest flame, that's the one where it's like a bunch of like soldiers in the shower being like she's a bitch. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> some of the staging is good. Some of the staging yeah. is not
0: good. <laughs> that's true. I like, you know, I like the crowded frames. That's something, you know, it's like you, you get like it's a big budget movie, and you can see that all the way through. It's like the shots are... Impressive. Impressive. I mean, and and like I started here with a reference to, you know, some of these like you get like 15 actors in one thing. But you also, I will just mention, get these scenes with like thousands of extras. I mean, this mm-hmm. the movie feels in a way that I would give Alan Parker credit is probably intentional or like was in discussion because... She, David Perrone, you know, part of it, like, her early career is as an actor. They start the, the film in a movie theater, which is not directly linked to the plot in any way, so that must be a choice. But the whole thing felt very old Hollywood to me in a sort of, like, a Ben-Hur scale of, like, a thousand extras run in. There's a huge crowd with torches. There's, like, a giant platoon of soldiers. There's this, like, insane gigantic display of their faces on top of the Casa Rosada. You know, they actually filmed in the Argentinian presidential palace. So it has this sort of like classic spectacle to it that I would say is sort of like a definitional part of the visual language of the film. And you see that a lot in those in those montages, which they're not just montages of like character goes here, character goes here. It's like Ava tries on dresses like police break up a protest Mm -hmm. there's like all these like huge like group crowd spectacle scenes
1: yeah the size of the crowds is so impressive yeah and there is a this was another thing i was kind of bumping on but kind of enjoying Uh i think overall like the visual look of this movie is mostly grounded in realism except for some of the staging of sort of antonio being this narrator who, now I'm a waiter, now I'm a guest at the party, now yes. I'm a in, working in the kitchen that she's walking behind, whatever. Like, that's very theatrical. But I think the cinematography is actually pretty, like, grounded and dim.
0: Yeah, it's shot like a historical, like a, like a 20th century period historical epic. Yeah. With these, like, yeah, the costumes are realistic. There's, like, and just the light and, you know, there aren't, like... Hot pink light covers this. It's all kind of right, like dusty right. and golden and shot. I mean, it looks I mean, it looks kind of like the Godfather, you know? Yeah. Some of the like yeah. crowd scenes. Like Godfather 2, like uh, Italy scenes.
1: Which sometimes I found annoying. Sometimes I was like, just be a freaking musical. This doesn't need to be so literal. She can be walking through. She can be singing What's New Buenos Aires and we can do something more creative with the staging than just realistic Madonna walking through the streets. Yeah. But I think the flip side of that is that I I. I think the visuals of this actually do provide quite a lot of historical context for Mm -hmm. here's just, it's never really referenced in the lyrics, but here's shots of the Perones just marching with the giant, you know, union protest down the street. And I think that conveys a lot about where their, their strengths and their allyships were as politicians. And on that sense, I found, I found all of that sort of realistic context helpful for a musical that's not always laying all that out
0: Mm -hmm. verbally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I have to imagine that in 1996, when there just are more people who lived, like at least at least like you've got a chunk of your movie audiences having lived as children through some of these mm-hmm. events. I think I think what I'm trying to say is, 30 years ago, I bet that some of these images trigger actual memories of like, oh yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that the Perones had this thing going on, whereas now those figures are pretty pretty faded from um i think at least like the mainstream like historical memory like i wouldn't yeah, call that yeah in them, america yeah in america i would not say that they are like on your list of 20 20th century figures you must know about right you know i don't i don't think they're like they're discussed very often but i but i wonder if those things of like oh yeah they had that whole thing with the with the foundation no they had that whole thing with the union so there was that I know, you know, people have like a passing familiarity with the military coup in Argentina. hmm.
1: I think I even read an article where Tim Rice was like, that was a bonkers thing to make a musical
0: about. He's not wrong.
1: <laughs> He's not wrong. It is yeah. a very specific, somewhat random feeling subject matter. I think what helps it is that. As much as I agree that there's not a one-to-one parallel for this was the thing that happened in Argentinian history that is just like this thing that happened in American history. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of elements of female celebrities and women in power and first ladies and the mid-century glamour. There's individual elements of that that feel more broadly relatable. Yeah which maybe it helps the, the musical's appeal because you're like, oh, okay, she's kind of like a Jackie O figure. Mm-hmm. But then she's also kind of like a Lady Macbeth figure. But then she's also kind of, you know, like a Grace Kelly figure. There's all these things you can you can sort of relate it to.
0: Yeah. It does make me wonder, like, what what was it about this story that Tim Rice got so amped about? You know, it's like, I, I don't entirely know. Mm-hmm. What was it where he's like, yeah, we're going to, we're gonna I have to go to
1: Buenos Aires to research this.
0: Yeah, was it the? I mean, because I think what you and I have sort of cited as if there's something that you and I have clearly agreed we both enjoy about it, it is this like the ambiguity of history. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know if that. I, I I just can't quite imagine that he was like, oh, you know what, Ava Perón's story is awesome. That'll be a great way for me to write an ambiguous historical musical. <laughs>
1: Well, there is an inherent glamour to her mm-hmm. that I think is always compelling, like mm-hmm. to go from being an actress to being the super glamorous first lady. Yeah, I think is interesting. I think there's always something about women in power, particularly in this era. That's interesting. I think I'm looking on Wikipedia. I think it was like 1940. 19- Forty six to 1952 that she was serving as first lady mm-hmm. so like unusual to have such a powerful woman in that time period yeah. there's also true, the true. thing of like she does die super young mm-hmm. she dies at 33 there's a part in this movie where she's sort of at the height of her power and antonio banderas's che is like crazy that she achieved all this at age 26 and i yes, i was like yeah. what yeah. are you saying yes. she was 26 years old <laughs> Yeah, like that is actually straight up wild to be to have to not just be a first lady at twenty six, but to have been an instrumental an instrumental force in massive social and political change without an official political role. Yeah, as a twenty six year old woman in the late nineteen forties mm-hmm. is wild.
0: Yeah, they they do I think touch on this in this film on these sort of moments where. I think it's Perone singing, like you know, without her we wouldn't be where we are, and it's like, yeah, that that does seem to be politically true. Yeah, and you also have, I mean, the the, the money kept rolling in and out song. That's that's one that you know was on a a mix CD I had as a kid and I was mm-hmm. familiar with. So 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 that's the song I was looking forward to, and you do get a sense of like some of the political games they were playing in terms of like just delivering like raw, unfiltered, unexamined. And slightly unethical, just populism. Just like, we're just shelling out money to people. And when, you know, as he says, when the money keeps rolling in, you don't keep books. You know, like, Mm -hmm. let's let's not worry about the legality of this. Let's just like, make these things happen.
1: Right, it's like, what's the line between direct aid in a good way and between like just money like laundering in a bad way? Political
0: bossism, I guess, yeah.
1: if you are providing direct aid, does it matter if you're also money laundering? Maybe it doesn't.
0: Great question, great question. A question, again, that maybe is raised by this. Yeah. Um, I did find a quote uh, on Wikipedia just now from Alan Parker, uh, the writer and director, saying, while Evita is the story of people whose lives were in politics, it is not a political story. It is a Cinderella story about the astonishing life of a girl from the most mundane of backgrounds, who became the most powerful woman in her country and in any Latin America I'd ever seen. A woman never content to be a mere ornament at the side of her husband, the president. Which is uh interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, she does start, we meet her when she's like a, kind of like just a teenager. Yes. In this yeah, small I think town. I
0: 15. Gets, yeah. yeah. Although it's Which still Madonna. I also was
1: like, yeah, I kind of feel like, I wonder if Madonna was a little too old to play this. Not that she was that much older than Ava was when she died but because she's playing her younger and I feel like Madonna is just a person who has this sense of like experience and maturity around her.
0: I did not have the sense what, what you said about her being 26 I did not like through the film have this sense that I was watching Same. someone in their 20s.
1: Like what if this was Anya Taylor-Joy?
0: Yeah, that would be different. That I would think be different.
1: it's actually Argentinian maybe. What?
0: Where's her think Evita think so. movie? Yeah.
1: I could be wrong. Call
0: it call it call it right now. If she is Argentinian, <laughs> there will be a Yeah, born in Miami and raised in Buenos Aires. What's up, Buenos Aires?
1: And she sings cuz she sings in the Playmobile movie.
0: What? The what movie? <laughs> There's a Playmobil Um, movie? There's
1: a Playmobil movie in the style of the Lego movie, which I was assigned to review, and there was no press screening. So I went to go see it opening day, a 5 5 p.m. opening day showing of the Playmobil movie, which they were so worried no one would go to that they just nationally made all of the tickets to it $5.
0: (laughs) We cannot get that far (laughs) off topic, but I am having a Mandela Universe moment right now where I'm like, I have never in my life Heard a single reference to there being a Playmobil movie starring Anya Taylor Joy, Jim Gaffigan. Okay, well, what the hell? I
1: so the movie when you watch the trailer for it, it is just looks like the Lego Movie, right? Like kind of cartoony. You're watching uh-huh. the Legos. I sit down at my 5 p.m. screening. I paid five dollars for. I'm the only person in the entire theater, and the first like 15 minutes is live action, and it's Anya Taylor Joy as a live action person on screen singing a song and then they get sucked into the playmobile uh <laughs> world and then it's a playmobile movie and then i got up to leave at the end and the usher said oh i thought this was a movie for kids <laughs> <And> i said <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> but i didn't quite know how to explain why i had to be there and it was it was it was maybe a dark moment <laughs> for us all wow
0: wow this movie sounds wild Okay. It wasn't okay. terrible. Off. So that's it. That's it on the Playmobil movie. I have to. I have to give <laughs> myself the hook bar. and pull Close. myself back in. That was a play, That was a Playmobil sidebar on an Anya Taylor Joy <laughs> sidebar. Uh
1: huh. So
0: what movie are we talking about? Is are we doing Spy Kids or what happened?
1: Yeah, we're doing. I <laughs> just okay. Another is, tangent. Is this Shrek the too? guy that played Junie in Spy Kids? Yeah. Did you know he's married to Megan Trainor now? No. He's married to Megan Trainer, and then I fell down a rabbit hole of Megan Trainer's high school best friend TikTok, which is a lot of content of just hanging out with Megan Trainer and the actor that played Junie, and one of them was making Spy Kids jokes. Wow,
0: we're way off. You know what Megan Trainer has been in? The Playmobil movie. You're damn right. <laughs>
1: I actually kind of do remember her performing a musical number.
0: She was in the Playmobil movie with Anya Taylor Joy who grew up in Buenos Aires, which is where Evita takes place. Uh So in Evita, the role of Che (laughs) is performed by Antonio Banderas, who we are doing a podcast series about. How do we feel about Antonio Banderas in this film? How do you feel about Antonio Banderas in this film? I like him. I thought he's fun. I mean, he's he's super charismatic, uh, as has been said by us many, many times. Um, So the direct address thing is working. I think his note is a little... Not his note. I I guess you could... I I, I Freudian gave away where I'm going with this. His performance is a little one note, I think. Mm. I think there's a lot of it where he's... The character as written is essentially just doing the same, like, it's all, oh, what a circus, you know? It's kind of the (laughs) the tune that he stays in or the the tone that he stays in for most of the movie. There is, I'd say, an interesting ambiguity as it goes along about... You know, he's so above it all, this celebrity culture thing, like he sees it for what it is, but like in the end, is he captivated by her in spite of himself? But that's subtextual. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'd say he's doing that in an interesting way. They have a very sort of sexy tango towards the end that is... Mm -hmm. I'd say another interesting moment where we could debate, like, what does that mean? It could be loaded with a couple different meanings. Or there's the possibility that it doesn't mean anything. and was just like an image, <laughs> which is kind of how I feel about everything this. Like, does it mean, does it, is it a cool have ambiguity you, or does it actually just mean nothing?
1: Have but, you ever heard the story? I forget who it was, but somebody that was like a famous musical theater creator went to see an early staging of Cats. Uh-huh. And was talking to Andrew Lloyd Webber after. And he was like, Andrew, I figured it out. Like, this is a metaphor for this. This is a metaphor for this political strife. Like, this is Queen Victoria. da da da, da. He had this whole scheme laid out. And then Andrew Lloyd Webber turns at him and just goes, it's about cats. <laughs> so if we want to not grant them that they have a written deep subtext in here, that probably wouldn't be wrong.
0: <laughs> there is a scene towards the end where Che and Evita tango together. That might just be like, well, he's hot, she's hot, they're the stars, let's have them do a tango number. They kind of dance through, you know, with just, like, cuts. Not, like, cuts, it just takes them through the different locations of the musical, um, but now, like, empty and turn into, like, a, you know, dance floor. They dance in the Casa mm-hmm. and, like, a peasant shanty and... Uh,
1: it kind of feels like it's an argument between him, his sort of frequent complaint, like, are you just this empty figurehead who didn't really stand for something? Mm-hmm. And her sort of, no, I actually did do things that were meaningful. Yeah. Although again, I think some of that comes down to, I just don't think Madonna is the strongest actress. I think that her, her, she doesn't like interpret the lyrics in the way that I think the best musical theater performers do. Mm. And I think there's a way that that tango could have felt more like a conversation than just like a musical performance. Yeah. And maybe that's the element that is slightly missing for me. That
0: might be why I felt checked out at times. It might be like, I just didn't feel that there was a, when I say like I these moments where I didn't feel like I had the character, I didn't know what was going on with the character. It might just be... You know, I wanted to root for Madonna in this. Like, I, I like her, and I like to see. I like a narrative when, you know, those people who've been written off by, let's just say, mostly snobby men as like a vapid pop, you know. I mean, not unlike Evita. Not unlike Evita, or or a uh, Gaga or Cher. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I do feel like in some of the numbers that just relied on her acting. I might have looked at my phone a little bit.
1: Were you higher on her performance before we started talking about it? Or do you feel like you were feeling it? I
0: was, I think. But I'm, frankly, like, I'm thinking back and being like, you know, I didn't actually have that much that I specifically loved about it. I think I just thought, like, I haven't really seen Madonna act much. Actually, no, she does have a film career. But I was like, oh, you know, she's acting. She's not like just in here.
1: Yeah. She's not bad.
0: No. No.
1: She's definitely not bad.
0: But I do buy that like, you know, maybe there are moments where someone else could have done a little more.
1: Yes. With the role. She's not bad, but I think on the sliding scale of good, I would put her more towards the middle than the top. Mm -hmm. Whereas I quite like the Antonio performance. I do agree that maybe the character – I mean, again, as we said, it's not really a character in the conventional sense. Yeah. But I think I found just the concept of this narrator who really dislikes the lead that everyone else likes. I just found that compelling enough that it carried me through. Yeah. And I do think Antonio is acting the lyrics in a way that Madonna is not. If anything, occasionally he is overacting them.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, it is interesting that I, I did kind of have that thought earlier when we talked about the performances that he is doing... He's doing something that is he's not really naturalistic. He's theatery. Yeah, for sure. You know, he I, I agree that he he puts a lot of stank on those on those lines. <laughs> he really sure. does
1: mostly for good and then every once in a while there'll be a little sort of like lingering shot of him where he just does like 10% too much (laughs) you know he's kind of like he's looking angry and then he'll do almost like a high school level like and now I'm really angry shaking my finger or something and I'm like Antonio you didn't you didn't need to go that far we got it
0: well that's the director's responsibility you know to rein that in you know or to choose the take so they must have they must have liked it um it has been fun you, you did a decent amount of research on antonio's like uh not inconsiderable musical theater career like live musical theater and and mm-hmm. i did i watched a lot of those clips you sent me and i i like he's doing similar work on stage to what you see here like he really has brought a an on stage musical sensibility to the film which i i don't think is at all too much for the stage i mean stage acting is you have to convey truth in the same to to the same extent but you have to do it in a much like physically larger way like the just the scale is is significantly mm-hmm. different. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh musical theater Antonio?
1: I do. Yeah, and this was part of the reason I had behind the scenes been really pushing to do Evita when we were debating just cuz I feel like it this is such a funny little quirk of his career that not a lot of people we've covered have we had seen him so he he had sung in desperado which was the year before this mm-hmm. and i think he did a little singing in that mambo kings movie that we keep referencing as being his
0: first, first english language film
1: yeah first english language movie um but obviously this is a big singing role for him he goes on in 2003 to make his theater his on-stage theater debut in nine playing guido in Nine.
0: Oh, is that his debut
1: I believe it was his yeah, huh. at least in the US. We had talked about him doing all that theater. I
0: remember seeing that's right. He was doing theater as a young person in his like mm-hmm. in his teens and yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Um I just I just remember seeing him on the poster for nine when I was in New York and I just had this impression yeah. that was more recent than nineteen years ago, but uh time flies.
1: Right. Two thousand three, the first year I looked, I was looking this up because he's so he's nominated for a Tony Award for that. Mm-hmm. It was the first uh, first year that Hugh Jackman hosted the Tonys, and he was beaten out by Harvey Fierstein in Hairspray, which I'm like, yeah, that probably is fair. That's fair. <laughs> that role deserved a Tony. So he does he does the performance in Nine, but then he doesn't really do a ton more theater until twenty seventeen. He actually opens up a theater, the Teatro del Soho in malaga his hometown and now he like his side gig is sort of directing or co-directing and often starring in just a bunch of like local spanish musicals so they've done they opened with a spanish language version of a chorus line mm-hmm. in which he plays i think zach is the name of the yeah. mostly offstage choreographer character in that and then they did a production of company in which he played bobby yeah and i think next up they're doing godspell
0: what's he, is I, he gonna be in godspell
1: I'm not sure. I don't know if they've announced more specifics of Godspell. I
0: kind of hope not. But yeah. but, but, but uh, you know, I think that's so just so wonderful and cute that he loves doing that and just like has made. I mean, it it made me think of Don Bluth, who is you know when we talked about Anastasia, who also yeah. is like just running like running a theater in like a small town because like that's his passion.
1: I mean, is this not the dream? It
0: is absolutely the dream that
1: you get successful enough to go back to your hometown and just produce and star in whatever random musicals you happen to love. Caroline,
0: all the, 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 the bench of things that I would be like, great, no one would ever have cast me as Tevye, but now I will be casting will myself be as Tevye because I'm a famous movie star now. I'm going to play Tevye and then Henry Higgins and then, you know, I'm going to go on.
1: Right? There. I mean, this might be the most charming and relatable thing Antonio
0: Banderas has ever done in my eyes. Uh, yeah. Sweet, sweet <laughs> Paponio and his little... uh. His little, right? his little musical theater. And I think a
1: lot of times these productions end up touring around Spain. And I think they have been talks to maybe try to bring some of them to Broadway. Maybe the company production. I'm not sure. But yeah, he's just got this like little thriving side gig.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Playing
1: roles he's arguably way too old to be playing.
0: <laughs> Bobby and company. I mean, definitely. I watched the trailer for company that you sent me. And it's like yeah. his like three girlfriends are still probably in there in there. You know, late twenties, early thirties. Right, he's not. But you know, a
1: character who is canonically thirty-five, but clearly oh, they yeah, did because it's
0: his birthday specifically. Right. Yeah, and that's I, I actually
1: think it's kind of an, an interesting interpretation to have an older Bobby mm-hmm. as sort of like societal norms have changed and being single at thirty-five is not does not have quite the same connotations no. as it did in the seventies. But no, it is interesting to only change him and not to change anything
0: else. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, but uh, I guess it's one of those like he kind of gets to do whatever he feels like, and I liked yeah. those clips you sent me of him singing at an Andrew Lloyd Webber concert where he does he does an Evita medley and he also does Phantom of the Opera, which was tasty to me. <laughs> Wild, yeah, I, I could see.
1: He sounds yeah. pretty good.
0: Pretty good, yeah. He's not he's not like the, the people who. Occupy these roles on Broadway because this is what they are best at in the world. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. not quite that good. But he's he's better than, like, movie star does a musical for fun.
1: Yes. He's better than Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone in La La Land. I think he is committed to it in a way that, like, hides a lot of flaws. Mm-hmm. And I even think about somebody that, like, my Broadway baby Norbert Leo Butts, mm-hmm. who I think doesn't really have the most traditionally amazing musical theater voice but he's such a strong performer and actor that yes it's like perfect for the stuff he does yes i think antonio has a little bit of that
0: quality to him yeah so had he done is there anything musical in his project prior to this it's just it's just singing in you know is desperado and mambo kings yeah
1: there's not a musical specific thing but there is a kind of a wild madonna story i can't remember if i if I mention, I mentioned this to you. I can't remember if it was off mic or on mic. Um, Madonna is kind of a key figure in Antonio's transition from his Spanish career to his American career.
0: You have not mentioned this to me at all. Please tell tell me a story.
1: So Madonna, sort of at the height of her late eighties, early nineties fame, produces this documentary called Truth or Dare that was about her uh, blonde ambition international tour. So it's all this like behind the scenes footage of her tour and her talking about her life. And a big scene in this movie. So this is before Antonio has done anything in the states. Mm-hmm. A big scene in the movie is her talking about how she's a huge fan of Pedro Almodovar and she has this massive crush on this Spanish actor named Antonio Banderas. And it becomes a whole scene in this movie. I can link to it in our show notes where she's yeah. like and Pedro is going to throw a big party and Antonio's gonna be there and I'm so excited to meet him. And it's hard to tell how much of this is her being like kind of funny or serious. Like it's the tone of it is tricky to navigate, Mm. but she's like, and it turns out he's married because he'd been married to someone in Spain as we talked about at that time. So then there becomes this whole like semi joking, but is it not joking thing where she keeps trying to hit on him, but be like, well, I know you're married and she's like pissed off that he's married. But again, is it a joke? Is it real? And then she's like, I'm so embarrassed. And then she's like, who's here that's single that I can hit on. And it does like, a major focus of this scene of the documentary. So I think this is a super successful documentary because Madonna was such a you know a big a big cultural figure at mm-hmm. the time as she will remain really forever. Yes, and so I think Hopefully. a lot of people, the first time that they heard about Antonio Banderas in a mainstream way was through this
0: Madonna crushing Madonna documentary. On
1: him. Yeah, wow. in a documentary, and she uh, there's a an interview where Antonio said that she actually called him up when he was in the States filming Mambo Kings. And she was like, hey, you're in my documentary. And he was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like f- world famous superstar Madonna. <laughs> and so he, she like screened a, a version of the scene or whatever, some of the documentary for him and said, like, is it okay if I keep this in? And he said, yeah. Wow. And then it's funny in the documentary, which was in the early 90s, it ends with her being like, well, I'm never going to see him again. And then they go on to freaking be in Navita.
0: Wow. Crazy. I know. I was gonna say small world. Not it's not exactly what that is. That's that's more <laughs> just like celebrity world is a weird world that takes that has some unpredictable twists and turns. Right. But uh yeah. But yes, yeah, so it was figure. kind of
1: last week when we were we were charting those that sort of shift from this, you know, eighties in Spain to to how we became how we how we transferred over to the US so There's a
0: seminal moment in which uh Madonna directed all of our eyes she really lustily did. in his direction. <laughs>
1: She was ahead of the game in terms of highlighting wow. him. Wow!
0: Yeah, crazy. This is a moment where I might, you know, shout out some of the rest of the cast or say how do we feel. But uh, the cast is pretty limited in terms of like speaking characters. Which I hadn't really thought I hadn't really thought about it in these terms, but it's really like there's like three and a half characters, and then everything else mm-hmm. is just chorus stuff. You get Agustín Magaldi very briefly, the tango singer. And then it's really yeah, just like sounds great. He does sound great, yep. Um that's a funny little like appearance. Uh but then it's really just like two characters and their narrator and then the chorus. Mm-hmm. I guess like besides Magaldi, like really almost you get you get uh, Perone's mistress. I guess that would be your your next build character. But um Yeah,
1: so in terms of you had ask me before we started if I knew of changes from the the musical to the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was mostly having a hard time tracking down that specifically. But I do know that on stage, the song about like another suitcase in another hall. Yeah. That's actually a featured moment for Perone's mistress. That's her song, mm-hmm. which then for the movie, they just give that to Ava and make it her song. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's slightly an example of the movie taking this really sympathetic beat and giving it to Ava, to Avita, yeah. I think that the movie is maybe presenting her more sympathetically there. And actually the same with the tango singer, which is sort of her first, he's kind of the guy that takes her to Buenos Aires. In the movie, they show up and it turns out he's got a whole other family. So he just basically abandons her. Mm-hmm. I think on stage, it might be that she leaves him once they get to Buenos Aires. Mm. I think it's little things like that like little sort of internal cuts or little changes that are ultimately pretty minor, but that are all working towards maybe a slightly more sympathetic.
0: Yeah, Ava? yeah. I mean, for the for the writer director to say like it's a Cinderella story, that does you know Cinderella is generally like good things happen to her and she's a nice person. She doesn't like <laughs> she isn't like now I'm gonna like fucking kick the last mistress out of bed and now I'm gonna you know right. move on to the next so. <laughs>
1: they also added a song i mean again the songs are hard to remember what they are this one's called you must love me
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think it won the oscar one of those classics we have to add a new add song, one song. So can win an Oscar. yeah
0: best original song yeah things
1: it's a song that mostly plays out almost exclusively in montage i think mm-hmm. it's like you're just hearing madonna sing it but i know when they added that song madonna didn't like it because she thought the song was too critical of ava Mm-hmm. Or making her seem too much like I just need attention. You must love me. Yeah. Although I think in the portrayal, she portrays it quite sympathetically. Yeah.
0: That's an interesting angle on it. Yeah, and we, you know we haven't talked about the the fact that they were filming this in Argentina, where they were protested not insignificantly. I mean, Alan Parker talks maybe apocryphally, but about showing up and seeing like Alan Parker and Madonna go home like graffitied all over the city of Buenos Aires because people. <laughs> People just like rode super hard for the Perones. Like they still mm-hmm. there was still a significant like Peronista movement and uh and I think it was the idea of like here's come some Americans to film in the Presidential Palace this like yeah Perone smear movie.
1: Mm-hmm. You know the other big figure she's a parallel for is like Princess Diana. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. I think
1: a similar figure that people feel so strongly about. Yeah. Probably you could go either way. Mostly people are really positive on Princess Diana as I think probably a lot of people in Argentina are for Eva Peron. Mm-hmm. But just a very like charged historical figure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's What a, do you think analog, of um analog?
1: Jonathan Price? I
0: think one. I think he's good. Uh I love Jonathan Price in general. Me too. I mean, I you know, I I've great fondness for governor swan and then you know (laughs) the building out of his you know listening to some of his other like musical theater uh stuff his like his take on oliver the musical is fun to me i like his james bond villain performance um i don't know like what exactly to say about the character of perone here
1: It doesn't quite pop, I don't think. No, you know, in the- And the performance doesn't, it's not, again, it's not bad, but I'm like, I feel like there could be more. Yeah,
0: I agree. I'll say that like when he first shows up in the song that is about like sort of various leaders sort of like ascending to take each other's Mm -hmm. position, I was like, he just looks interesting and you kind of get this idea of like a sort of like a clever, ambitious, semi-ruthless colonel. Like and I was like, I'm excited to see Jonathan Price do that. And then, like, what he actually is is like a little harder to pin down. It's like uh, he's loyal to her. He's um, a a leader. You know, it's like it's it's a little hard to say like what defines that character.
1: It is maybe in the way that I like a lot of the ambiguity. He might actually be a place where they go to. We don't want to choose the side, so it'll be kind of nothing.
0: Yeah, there's yeah, it just feels like there's there's kind of nothing there, and there's like there's a few little stabs. That one thing that is weird to me, a weird moment in this movie, is a scene that goes in between songs, a non-verbal, non-musical scene where he kind of comes out of his bedroom in his dressing gown and knocks on her door, and you see her hear him knock and then not get yeah. the door. He tries the door, and then he kind of glumly like walks back to his own room a gesture at a whole subplot that i think is not really touched on at any other point mm-hmm. in the film
1: mm-hmm. That's a good call that
0: would be a little clue about them but i don't know that's just a that's right. just a clue and it doesn't really tie into anything else
1: right because it does kind of suggest is she not in this because she is in love with and attracted to him is she in this for the power of it all and sort of keeping him out.
0: I guess you could say they have so many moments of physical affection in front of crowds. Yeah. But then like not as much in private, but then also like they are tender in private when she dies. He's very emotional when he's Mm -hmm. like, you're dying, Ava. You're dying. Satine. (laughs) Uh, That is, that is, uh, there's tenderness there. Yeah. You know, I, I like Jonathan Price. I, 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 I'm, I'm clearly having a hard time saying anything about his performance yeah. here.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think the movie has a hard time saying anything about him. Yeah. I'm
0: not beating up One on myself I, for this.
1: Yeah. One thing I find odd, I think Jonathan Price just looks like the most British man alive. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, we can talk about the whole, just, I don't know. As we keep stumbling upon in this Antonio Banderas series, a
0: lot of whitewashing of the series, tons.
1: Yes. The line between, like, race and ethnicity and how that ties into Hispanic culture and, and Latin American mm-hmm. culture is, like, all very complicated. I think they it does kind of feel like they are low-key putting – again, low-key putting Jonathan Price in a little bit of brown face here.
0: Yeah, which his hair. is not good in general. I'm going to guess they black-rinsed his hair. You know. But
1: it's especially weird when he also plays an Asian man in Miss Saigon. Yeah, he's – the and, why yeah. why do why do people keep looking at this very British-looking man and say you should play like the, Jonathan Price is not a quote unquote ethnically ambiguous man? No. I don't understand what the musical theater casting directors are seeing in these choices. No, I mean
0: I think in the case of the in the case of the the engineer in Miss Saigon, which I'm not that familiar with, which I think he might have made like the softest of like gestural apologies for, but probably not sure. a full on one. Um, You know, because I think for a long time there's the idea of like the actor just has to act. If you know, if there's bad casting, that's on the responsibility. But I think people say, "Oh, the um, the engineer is half French, half Vietnamese." So French is European. So a white guy is just as qualified to play this role sure. as an Asian performer. And that is that is no longer the thinking. Um, but yeah, I do, I don't know what it is with the. I mean, Argentina is tricky. Argentina yeah. is a um. As I understand it, has like so much colonialism in its history that I think, yeah, ethnically is ethnicity is confused. It's like a lot of a lot of people in Argentina, I believe, like you know, can trace through like can trace their roots to colonial
1: mm-hmm. Europeans. But yeah, I was trying to figure out what the it, real life it's diva Perone. How much of her heritage was European was she versus like German? something else? Yeah, I just think of there's a lot of it's German to, influence yeah, in yeah. Argentina. Yeah.
0: before uh, Even before, uh, you know.
1: There's a whole section. On, I was reading through some of the real life Perón's Wikipedia page. And a lot of like, were they defending Nazis in Argentina? Here's, the, here's arguments on both sides of whether that historically happened. Yeah. Just a lot of confusing things to parse on the plus of jonathan price i saw him in dirty rotten scoundrels on broadway with norbert leo butts who i already mentioned here and he was so good i
0: believe it i saw john lithgow in that role but i bet jonathan price was super fun
1: that was one of those shows where i think people said it sort of it was so great with John lithgow and then was great in an entirely different way with jonathan price but it fully changed the energy of the show Oh, they
0: bring very different John lithgow is like he's not really like dapper in that same no. way. He doesn't have that I don't know. He's not he's not suave. So yeah. So yeah, you I when you say on a pro John the Price note, you mean in a completely different project, he's good. Yeah. In a
1: completely different project, I loved him in Dirty Run Scoundrels. And love him in general. Yes,
0: yeah, I'd say I'd say so too. But um not much to like glom onto here.
1: No. I think for me, what I like about this is all in the tension, is all in the tension between This You see all these shots of glamorous Ava's life and all the people she's helping. And then Che showing up and being like, fuck her, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's just just such a wild way to structure it.
0: I I agree with that as being something that really draws me to it. I would also say that it is probably like towards the end of the wave in which large Hollywood budgets go towards producing actual like – giant crowd spectacle scenes just like past past the 90s i just don't think you would have this kind of thing where you you just say like how about we save ourselves sixty thousand dollars and we do this with cgi and it works just as well but but in terms of large-scale spectacle of crowds of people with torches and like you know here goes here goes 40 horses like riding after a train as like 100 people like wave like white handkerchiefs at it you've got some really cool 20th century style big spectacles in here and they use them Mm -hmm. in the montage as well in spite of my feeling that 70% of the movies is is montage when it (laughs) might have been judiciously more judiciously used for like like 30% but you know it's not just I don't get the sense that it's just because the director is obsessed with montages and can't see things any other way I think he's using that a lot of times to solve the puzzle of how you do these Mm -hmm. weird like non narrative, like discoursey songs that Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice have written here.
1: Yeah, both somehow non narrative and also nothing but narrative with no character or emotional
0: beats. Yes, yes. Just like telling you things that happened in this mm-hmm. country politically.
1: Maybe that's why I like this musical because it's just like reading a Wikipedia page, but they're singing to you. <laughs> and those are my two favorite things. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that uh, that that's that's not inaccurate. So if you dig on those things, check out <laughs> the uh, rarely discussed 1996 film of Evita.
1: Evita, Evita.
0: It's, I, I, it's the music. A lot of it, it's just gone out of my head, and I watched this film today. But some yeah. of it will come back.
1: You know what I do like as we're sort of doing random scattershots Please. thoughts to end here yeah. i like how in in if the tension of this movie is like were they good charitable people were they kind of casual fascist like how do we come down on it I, I am maybe not the biggest fan of alan parker's directing in general mm-hmm. but there are a couple of those big scenes where somebody's giving a big speech And it doesn't feel like the quality of the speech is bad, but he does kind of film it like it's a Nazi propaganda Mm -hmm. video or like it's the way we're used to seeing Nazis presented on screen with like a tilted angle and red banners and something that feels unsettling about it. And I actually think it's very clever to use that visual language to ting something in your brain with like, is this off? Is this bad? But then have the content of it not be as on the nose. Yeah. I think it's a smart way to balance what is going on here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a guy that was kind of friends with Mussolini and did how much of that continued into his reign. Unclear. And just to let all of that filter in, I think is smart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that moment when uh, Antonio Banderas is like, they associate him with Mussolini. I wonder why. But then also, actually, I think about it, he does a gesture. And I think that might be one of the ones you're talking about. He then does like another gesture.
1: Yep. He does. He, he needed to do the take one thing off before you leave the house. Yeah.
0: Take one thing off. I, there's one part. Method. I can't remember where. I just wrote down that one point when Antonio Banderas goes, yeah, that that was fun. <laughs> I don't know what song that was in but uh yeah he's
1: given it his all he
0: is he really is and there's a lot of fun moments in there so yeah i don't think we could clearly we didn't settle on i mean you know we don't give movies a grade but uh but this i i enjoyed that this um our sort of take on this movie uh, this discussion has has sort of uh you know embodied some of the ambiguity that we are both saying we got from this film
1: yeah, I literally didn't grade it on Letterbox because I did not know what story. Oh, yeah, we've got to I've gotta go
0: do. I'll have to put it in a letterbox. That's gonna be real. That's gonna be a real puzzle for me. Right? Yeah.
1: I think it's almost a movie or a show that is more interesting to discuss than it is to watch. Yeah. And I don't mind that as an experience of something.
0: No, you're right. I did as a you know. I mean, quite simply, I was bored multiple times watching this movie, but I haven't been bored during this conversation at all. So.
1: Yeah, that's good. A plus for podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh,
0: this is 1996. He's still in blockbuster territory, Antonio. And two years later, he makes a perfect film called The Mask of Zorro, (laughs) about which there could be given no notes. Um, Followed not too long after that by uh, Spy Spy Kids Kids. and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And he continues with some of that. um, But a lot of the last 20 years – or twenty five ish years of Antonio Banderas have really been defined by family work outside of, uh, outside of, outside of Spy Kids. He of course makes all the Shrek movies, which maybe we'll do a little shout out to next week. Um, and uh, and yeah, continues to be I would say a household name, but not as much a a leading man in a way that feels like he had clearly found his stride. And mm-hmm. I think we both feel that a a significant shift on that, maybe not in a blockbuster way, but but still putting him front and center in a critically acclaimed movie, was uh, his 2019 collaboration with our old fave, Pedro Almodovar.
1: <laughs> He's back.
0: Who's back? Um, they did uh, The Skin I Live In in 2011, and in 2019, they did the much warmer, softer, sweeter Pain and Glory, a movie that... I just cannot wait to discuss next week. So that will be the final film in our Antonio Bandera series. We are going to discuss uh, Pain and Glory. Um, I'm looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, I think it was his first Oscar nomination.
0: Was it really?
1: I think so. Wow.
0: He'll get a Lifetime so Achievement Award you know, within the next, uh, the next give it to decade or two. He can perform two.
1: a chorus line when he
0: goes to Ooh, receive it. Ooh, that'd be sweet. That'd be sweet. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Ned Baker and Caroline Sita. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at RollCalling, or you can email us at rollcalling@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That is Roll, R-O-L-E. We'll be back in two weeks with pain and glory. Until then.
1: So I honestly have nothing if I sent you a video of Patty LuPone like straight up belting her face off at the Tony Awards do you think we could use that as the outro Yeah
0: why not it's